one of the verses that really stands out for me, um, probably because of, of being a preacher, is, is found in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, and in verse 13. Uh, the, this verse, uh, I, I think, is, is just so powerful. And Paul knew exactly what he was doing as he was writing this. But he writes, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. And, and, and Paul knew that, that he was an ambassador for Christ. Paul was an apostle that Jesus Christ himself set apart and appointed to be an apostle to the Gentiles. It was Jesus who, who trained him up in, in, um, in time. And, and Paul knew that as he even wrote that, that the word of God was being written and that which we have in our hands is the very word of, of God. It's not the word of men, but the word of God. And, and how he finishes that, 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 he says, for this reason we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. People, it, it is the word of God that transforms lives. It's not my words. It, it's not any of the elders' words. It's not any of the Bible teachers' words. It is the word of God that transforms lives. It is the word of God that is infallible. It's, in, it's the word of God that, that is inspired. It's the word of God that, that will not return void and what he desires to accomplish in your life. And so the importance of, of us being in the Word of God on a Sunday morning is also the importance of, of being in the Word of God. You have the opportunity to be in the Word of God on, on a daily basis because we have access to it. May we never take that for granted, the access that we have to uh, his Word. Um, you know, the... Um, this word that, that we have read in, in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and, and speaking of, of the return of Christ, which Jesus himself, he, he spoke of. If you turn with me back to, to Matthew chapter 24, these are, just, these are not just Paul's words. These are Christ's words as well. And when you come back to, to Matthew and chapter 24 and the Olivet Discourse as as the disciples were wondering, when are these things going to take place? And specifically, they were asking what Jesus was saying about the temple. And so, <clears throat> so Jesus responds to them, and he says, uh, verse 4, See to it that, that no one misleads you. Uh, and for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. Uh, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. The nation will, uh, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And then they will deliver you over to tribulation and will kill you. And, and you will be hated by nations because of my, my name. And, and so we know in history that, that this prophecy that Jesus was given was, was, was fulfilled 
at 70 AD and what took place in Jerusalem and the judgment that came upon the Jews in Jerusalem because of the crucifixion of the Messiah. And, and yet, we know, as we look at this, I believe that, that there's more words here that didn't happen in 70 AD when he says, but immediately the tribulation of those, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky. Those things have not happened. I, I think it's a prophecy concerning that there's a, 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 a a fulfillment of that prophecy in 70 AD, but there's going to be a later fulfillment at the return of Christ. And, and so it's understanding that, that Jesus spoke of, of his return. If you turn over to, to the Gospel of, of John in chapter 14, Jesus says in verse 1, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The promise that, that he has gone to prepare a place and that he's coming back to take us to where he is. And we know where he is. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And Jesus is going to come back and he's going to bring us with him. And, and then when you come to his high priestly prayer, his prayer in, in John chapter 17. And now Jesus is, is praying specifically for all believers. Those who, who not only were the disciples, those who would come to faith through the disciples' word. Uh, verse 20 and now he, he continues on praying for you and I. And he says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. I mean, the desire of Christ. Do you understand this? The desire of Jesus Christ right now, his desire is that you, those who, whom the Father has given the Son, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He desires that you would be with him. I mean, you, you think about it. Who am I to be worthy that he would desire that I would be with him where he is? And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He desires that I would be in the presence of him in heaven. That's his desire. That's, that's the delight. That's why he came. And so, when Paul is talking about the return of Christ in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, he's, he's giving us truth concerning what Jesus himself proclaimed. In 2 Thessalonians, what I really enjoyed about 2 Thessalonians is we got to see the heart, the pastoral heart of, 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 of Paul. We got to see his, his love and his care for them. That, that in the midst of, 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 of their faith being shaken and their composure, their composure shaken and, and they were disturbed because of a, uh, either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if it was from Paul that the day of the Lord had come. And, and so their faith is shaken and, 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 and wondering what, what in the world is, is going on. And, and 
people, there, there's times when, when your faith is shaken, right? There's times when, when there's, there's, there's doubts that appear in, in your own life. When you're going about and things happen certain ways, and, and it, it does. It, it thinks, will this ever change? Will this ever end? Will, will this person ever know Jesus? Well, I mean, all those things and those doubts and those thoughts come to mind. And here, Paul is, is wanting to come alongside them, encouraging them, and he speaks the truth, and he says, listen, listen. It's not, the, the day of the Lord's not going to come until after the apostasy, until, until after the man of lawlessness is revealed. He goes into these truths that, that are yet to happen. And, and so wanting to encourage them, and then bringing in the aspect of judgment, and, and Christ is going to, to take over, but just his breath will slay the, the man of lawlessness. The, that Satan has no power over, over Christ. In fact, I believe even Michael the archangel is more powerful than Satan. And so it's understanding that, that these truths that we have is, is to reassure us. But then, right, he, he talks about about. God sending a deluding spirit upon them and that they're going to believe what is false, those who do not trust Christ and they're going to follow into the falsehood. Their hearts are going to be hardened and judgment's going to come upon them. And then he says, but, verse 13, we should always give thanks to you, to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel that you, catch this, you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let that truth sink in. You understand what's going to take place? That those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God has ordained those whom, whom he's then given to Christ, that Christ is going to raise them up on the last day, do you understand that you are going to gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ? You're going to be changed in an instant, and you're going to receive the same glorious body like he has that will never experience death whatsoever anymore. I mean, those are truths that, that, that we must hang on to, especially in the days that we live in. And the things that we see happening in our world and the things that are going on even in our own country and the things that, that are coming out right now that, that strive to, I think, even they, they want to put caution, but, but, it's, but the enemy to bring fear. They want to bring fear into us. We don't have anything to fear. I belong to Christ. And, and, and I am going to gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You understand that? Nothing can take that away. Nothing. This is the heart of Paul who then prays for them in verse 16 of chapter 2. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort. Notice that. It's not partial comfort. It's not Every once in a while, comfort. This is eternal comfort. Eternal comfort and good hope by His grace. Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. 
right? He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. His goodness, his grace to us. And so, Paul finally addresses for the third time in, in 2 Thessalonians these ones who, who live an unruly life, specifically the rebellious idlers, those who will not work. Paul addressed them when he was with them in Thessalonica and planting the church. He addresses them again in 1 Thessalonians and, and uh, telling them to get to work. And now he brings it about again, and this time he's enacting church discipline. And it's understanding that this church discipline comes with the desire that that person be reconciled. That's the whole aspect of church discipline because we want that brother or that sister in Christ to not only be reconciled back to Jesus. That, that's, that's the most important thing is being reconciled back to Jesus. But, but when he's reconciled back to Jesus, what happens is he's reconciled back with us. That we are one. We are one body. And when, when one body, one body part, 1 Corinthians tells us, suffers, we all suffer. And one rejoices, we should all rejoice. And so when one is coming back, heaven rejoices. We rejoice because here is the one who, who becomes a part of the body which is unified under the one head who is Christ Jesus. And, and, and there's great joy in the midst of that. And, and so this whole picture of, of church discipline and, and, and the love that, that we share even when it means that, that I may not associate with, with that person for a time. But it's, but it's the, with the desire for them to be reconciled and to be brought back into relationship with Christ and to the body of believers. And so, when Paul closes now, beginning in verse 16, with this benediction, some say that, that, that this closing, that, that now may the Lord of peace himself continually give you peace, that, that Paul specifically referring to the church discipline. And, and do those who, who are experiencing the grief of a lost brother, do they need peace in the midst of it? Absolutely. Do those lost brothers who, who, who are in rebellion against God, do they need to know the peace of God? Absolutely. But I think it's more than that. I think, do the, does the persecuted church that we see in chapter 1, uh, when they're under great persecution, do they need to know the peace of God? Oh, yes. Or, or, or even when, when their faith is shaken, when, when they've lost composure because of a false teaching and they think the day of the Lord has come, wouldn't the peace of God... Assure them. I think, I think this benediction is, is for the whole letter, not just for this section of, of, of the church discipline. It is certainly appropriate for, for this last section. But Paul, with these words, I, I think just his words that he uses here in verse 16, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace what? In every circumstance, in all ways, at all times. That's what he's saying, in all ways and at all times. So it's more, than just, it's more than just church discipline. 
It's in all ways and all times. It's, it's when you are experiencing maybe fear or doubt yourself concerning your faith, concerning the situation that you find yourself in. It's, it's in all ways and in all times that you know the peace of Christ. And that's what Paul is praying for for the, for the church at Thessalonica. That's what he's praying for for you and I. And so it seems fitting that, that, that it is a closure for the entire letter, which includes the concerns of the church that is persevering under persecution, that it includes those who, who have lost hope or, or their faith has been shaken because of, of false teachings concerning the re- return of Christ or the ongoing sin of rebellious idlers causing them to want to give up doing what is right or even the practicing of church discipline. All these issues, as well as any of a number of other problems, can cause the disintegration of the peace in the church, can it? It doesn't take much to, to disrupt the peace in the church. Let me just tell you that. It doesn't take much. I, we can go a, a while for a few weeks, and then all of a sudden something pops up. And, and, and dealing with those things and striving for the peace of Christ. And so I think as we will see this morning, this is very applicable to you and I, this this passage. It's interesting that Paul writes, he says, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. And all of Paul's other peace benedictions that, that he does in closing letters, the divine source between all of them except this one, is God. It's the Father. But here, it's the Lord. And and we know when he's talking of the Lord, he's speaking of Jesus Christ. And and I think he does this for a reason. I think, think number one, he's talking about the return of Christ. He's talking about that, that that Christ would would direct their hearts and their love for God and their steadfastness in walking with Christ. I, I, he wants them to understand that, that the Father and the Son are equal. They are both God. Two persons in the Trinity. Two of the persons of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, that He is God. He is co-equal with God. But, but He calls Him the Lord of peace. On top of this, Paul makes another change. He, he introduced this change back in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, in verse 23, when he says, Now may the God of peace himself. That's the first time he adds a personal pronoun to intensify that the Father of peace himself. And the only other time he uses that pronoun is now again, now may the Lord, Jesus Christ, of peace himself. He's emphasizing that, that, that it is Jesus Christ who brings the peace. It, it's stressing the role that the Lord Jesus plays in carrying out this prayer that he's going to pray for, for the Thessalonians, this prayer that he's praying for us, this prayer for peace. The peace benedictions of Paul, I, I think uh, some say it occurs seven times. I, I would put out there, I think it occurs at least eight times. In his letters, you see it in Romans and chapter 15 and verse 33. Uh, if, if you turn back there with me, 
It's like Paul's ready to close, and then all of a sudden he, he realizes he needs to greet some people, and then he does it again. But in 1533, he says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And then in 1620, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Know, know that the God of peace is here. God of peace is in control. 2 Corinthians uh, 13.11, the God of peace. Uh, Galatians 6.16, that's the only one that, that doesn't uh, speak specifically uh, of the God of peace uh, or, or, um, or the, from, from God himself. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 23. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And now in chapter 3, verse 16 of 2 Thessalonians. <clears throat> but this is the only time that we see the phrase, Lord of peace. So Paul petitions in, in chapter 5, verse 23, that the God of peace may sanctify you entirely. Here now, he says, may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. May the God of peace grant you, give you sanctification and, and moving you into further uh, walking with the Lord and set apart unto him. But now it is this Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace. I, I think he does this for a reason. If you remember <clears throat> uh, Numbers chapter 6 and the benediction <clears throat> that is given there <clears throat> in Numbers chapter 6. You'll, you'll recognize it when we get there where he begins in, in, in verse 24. Here's Aaron's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. Right? The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Right? You've heard that one before, right? The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace or grant you peace. Notice it is the Lord Yahweh. The Lord Yahweh give you peace. I think Paul, Paul's echoing that. Paul knew this benediction in, in Numbers. Paul's echoing that when he says, and the Lord of peace grant you peace, give you peace, that it would bring them back to the Lord. Is the one who, who does this. Yahweh and, and, and Christ Jesus, the Lord. He's the one, he is Yahweh. He is the one who grants and gives peace. And so, we know the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9 concerning Jesus, right? In Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 6, we have the names of the child that is to be born. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Everlasting Father. What? Prince of Peace. He's going to be the Prince of Peace. This is Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. Who, who came as a baby to live one, as, as one of us in order that He might go to the cross and redeem us. Turn, turn with me to Romans in chapter 5. Let's, let's, let's continue to look at this. In Romans chapter 5, and verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He's the one who brings us to peace with God. Turn over to Ephesians in chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in sons of disobedience. We were sinners. We were dead spiritually. Among them, we all tore... Formerly lived in the loss of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature born this way, children of wrath. That's who we were. Because of sin. We are children of wrath. Romans says we are enemies of God. We're dead spiritually. Nothing we can do except for by the grace of God. That's where, that's where Paul moves in Ephesians chapter 2. And then look where he ends up as we come down to verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, we were Gentiles, we, we had no God. We were, we were separated from the commonwealth of Israel. We were, we were completely separate. No God, no hope. And he says, you who were formerly far off, no hope, no God, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is what? Our peace. He's the one that brought us together. He's the one that broke down the wall between the Jews and the Gentiles in the temple. He's the one that broke down the wall between, between even the Jews into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of, of God himself. And he broke it all down. That as one body we come and we have access to God. We have peace with God. He did it. He accomplished it. We were enemies. We were children of wrath. But what does Jesus say? Let's, let's turn back and see what Jesus says. John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 27. Here Jesus is introducing the role of the Holy Spirit. He's already talking about the oneness between him and the Father. Going to prepare a place for us. But verse 27. Understand, this is the last day, really, of, of Jesus' life before he's crucified. And, he's, and he knows his disciples are going to be troubled. He knows that there's going to be turmoil for them. And look what he writes. Look what he says. This is what Jesus says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen when he got arrested. He knew exactly what was going to take place in the, in the disciples scattering. He knew what was going to happen with Peter and, and denying Jesus three times. Why? Because of the doubts and the fear of what's going on and the fear of men. He says, I, he says peace I leave you, my peace I give you. And he wants them to, to know that peace. Look at, uh, jump over to chapter 16, verse 33. He, he brings it to them again. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. He's told them, this is what's going to happen. Guys, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. All of this. And then he says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me, what? You may have 
peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have trials. But take courage. I've overcome the world. That's exactly what he did when he burst out from the grave. He overcame the world. And everything that the world would want to throw your way, he's overcome it. And he wants you to know these things so that you may have peace. Peace is the absence of conflict. That, that's that's a, a simple definition. But Paul's prayer here involves much more than just, just a temporary absence of conflict. Guess what? When you, have a temporary, when you have an absence of conflict with somebody, I guarantee you it won't be long before there will probably be some conflict with somebody else. Right? You ever experienced that? Anybody never have conflict? You want to deny that you have conflict? You want to avoid conflict? We're going to face conflict. And, and in this world, it's just temporary. Even the unbelievers experience temporary relief from, from conflict. He's talking about more than that. You see, in Paul's rich Jewish heritage, peace was more than just relief from conflict. It, 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 it was a broad concept that carried with it the presence of well-being. I, it's that no matter what may come my way, no matter what, what persecution, what, what hatred may come my way, no matter what anybody may do to me, I'm okay. Can you be okay? I'm okay. And the only reason I'm okay is because I have peace with God. I'm His. I'm okay. That's this well-being. I know who has it. I know who has my enemy in His hands. I'm okay. It wouldn't come my way unless God allowed it. I'm okay. That's this well-being. It's it's not just hearing this truth and believing this truth. It's beginning to live this truth. That's, That's this peace. So when Paul prays that the Lord of peace would grant you peace, he's thinking of a spiritual reality that goes beyond human peace. We can't comprehend it. This is a peace that can exist even in the midst of turmoil. That's why Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. I'm telling you these things so that in me, you have what? Peace. It's not going to be easy. You're going to face trouble. You're going to face conflict. You're going to face all these things. But in me, you have peace. You're okay. I, all that the Father gives me, Jesus said in, in John 6, I, lo- I lose none of them. I will lose none of them, but I will raise them up. Right? You're His. Nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. And he won't change it. That's his promise. Look at Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing. Ever get anxious? Yeah. And he says, be anxious for nothing. 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Knowing what? That the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, it surpasses the comprehension that you can even understand the peace of God. And you'll never understand it until you live it. Until you actually apply it to your life. Allowing the peace of God that he promises that would guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He promises it to live it. To be at peace no matter what may come my way. I'm his. He has me. He's sovereign. He's over it all. As Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. This is a powerful passage. He says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What does it mean that the peace of Christ rules in your hearts? That means it rules over anxiety. That means that the peace of Christ rules over fear. That means that the peace of Christ rules over doubt. That the peace of Christ rules over grief. Whatever emotion, whatever, whatever happens, let the peace of Christ rule over that. You're His. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the one that restored our relationship with the Father. And it's to begin to live it. Look, Matthew chapter 10. When you, when you, when we, Matthew chapter 6, we've looked at it a few times. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. That seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Meaning the things that pertain to life. Food, lodging, clothing. Those things that pertain to life. He promises as you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. When you come over to, to Matthew chapter 10 and, and He writes this, verse, or He says this, verse 28. Jesus says this. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who's God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's the only being we should ever fear, is God. Then he says this. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. You know what that means? God's sovereign over the falling of a sparrow. A sparrow will not fall to the ground out of the sovereignty of God. He has it. Sparrows. You following? He's sovereign. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear because you are more valuable than all the sparrows. I'm His. And so if God in His sovereignty with the sparrows, isn't He sovereign over my life too? And in His providence, does He not bring the things that come and prepare the heart? And what He's saying is, people, be at peace. I have this. You think this is a message that the Thessalonians needed to hear? Absolutely. I think it's a message that we need to hear. So, 
not anxiety, not fear, not doubt, no matter what lies ahead. My hope is not in President Biden. I don't know if anybody, my hope's not in him. My hope is not that Trump will be reelected. That's not where my hope is. My hope is not in the Supreme Court and the decisions that may, they make. No. My hope is not in America, in the past, the present, or the future. My hope is not in America. It's fallen. It's sinful. My hope is not in the rapture. It's not. My hope's not in the rapture. My faith doesn't depend on the rapture. My hope is in Jesus Christ. Right? My hope is in Jesus Christ who came to redeem me, to justify me, to sanctify me. One day, He's going to glorify me. That's my hope. I'm His. No matter what may come, it's going to happen. Because you're His. Because you're His. My hope is in Christ. A Puritan wrote this. He said, I cast my anchor in the port of peace, knowing that my presence, present and my future life are in nail-pierced hands. Amen. They're in his hands. And we know from John chapter 10, nothing can snatch me away. That he would continually grant you peace. This is the Prince of Peace in every circumstances. That he, that is, that he would grant you peace at all times and in all ways. That he is sovereign in my life. That my life is in his hands. My family is in his hands. My house is in his hands. Pleasant View Bible Church is in his hands. Our city is in his hands. Our state is in His hands. Our country is in His hands. Our world is in His hands. Our universe is in His hands. Everything that has ever been created, that ever was created, is in His hands. Everything was created by Him and for Him. And it's all in His hands. I'm His. Where are you going to find peace like that? Right? Nowhere. Nowhere. Do you believe it? So here's the next question. Do you live it? Do you allow it to change? That when the anxiety and the fear begins to erupt, hold it. I have peace with God. Because of the Lord of peace is in my life. He has it. I'm his. Nothing can change that. And then he says, the Lord be with you all. And I love, he uses the term all here. He's not just talking about the church uh, that, that is doing everything right. He's talking to the Rebellious idlers, all of you, all the brothers and sisters. You know what? Even when you sin, guess what? He's praying that the Lord be with you. He's praying that the peace of, of the Lord be with you. That even in the midst of sin, can I know his peace? Absolutely. 
I'm his. And then Paul speaks truth here. I, I love, he, he just all of a sudden is like, I need to reassure them. And he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. And this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. Because Paul knew he was writing the word of God, being led by the Holy Spirit, that this is the word of God. And Paul wants them to know, this is truth. And you need to hold to the truth. And we have the truth in our hands. And we need to be in the truth. Because it's the truth that brings us back to the peace that we are found in Christ. It's the truth that brings us back. It removes the doubts. It removes the fear. It removes the anxiety. It is the truth that brings us back of who we are in Jesus Christ. And we have peace with God. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Guess, guess what? It's by grace alone. I, it's an undeserved favor. I don't deserve this. I know who I am. I know the sinner that I am. And he says, his grace be extended to you because you're his. People, there's nothing that this world has. And this world is going to close in on us. And, and, and there lies ahead, I think, persecution and tribulation that lies ahead. And we need to know this peace and begin to practice it so that when it happens, guess what? I'm okay. I'm okay. Because I'm his. Amen?